Hi everyone, welcome to the De-Risk Podcast, Episode 6, a VC's view of the key risks for early stage startups. In this week's episode, I interview Ina Jacobson from Cocoon Capital on what she thinks are the key risks for startups, preventing them from scaling and becoming extremely successful. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of De-Risk. I'm really excited today to be joined with Ina Jacobson. She works at the Singapore-based venture capital firm, Cocoon Capital. That was founded in 2016, and Cocoon adopts a hands-on, founder-first approach to early-stage investing. Cocoon is a B2B and deep tech-focused fund that invests at the pre-seed and seed stages across Southeast Asia. At Cocoon, Ina is focused on helping portfolio companies across Southeast Asia scale in a fast, sustainable and agile manner by applying and adapting the best practices for mature companies. Welcome, Ina, and thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an honor. I'm really excited to have you here to be able to pick your brain because, as you know, de-risk is all about trying to help startups um, understand what what risks are out there that can derail them. So it's pretty cool to have you because you've seen, I'm sure, a lot of different startups come through the door and you're helping lots of startups make it big. Um, So I think it's quite cool to be able to speak to you on where you see, um, you know, what, where you see the common pitfalls or the risks are. Um, do you want to maybe just comment on that, on where you think the common risks are for early stage startups that really prevent them from their growth? Yeah, I think there are there are several things, right? And it's a huge topic, so I could probably spend a lot of time on it, but I'll try to, um, to be very specific. So I think the first thing that we see uh, is a lack of focus. Um, that's a common pitfall. You know, are you trying to do too much at once? Are you trying to build out everything about your product before you actually go out and sell it? You know, are you just stuck in that uh, development phase and not really speaking to customers and, and not getting out there? So that's the lack of focus is um, is one. Another big mistake is uh, getting the wrong investors, right? Um So there can be, I would say, I would categorize it in two different ways. So one is, do you find an investor that share the same goals and visions that you have, right? So are they pushing you in the right direction? If if they're not, if they, you know, want you to be something that you're not, that that's going to be a problem for you. And and it can be um, a pretty big problem as well. Um, The second one is more, you know, of a financial sort is the investor investing you in the right way. Are they making it difficult for you in terms of the cap table to have other investors come in? Do they offer you terms that are really detrimental to your business to, to, to grow it in the future and effectively, you know, shutting out any other investor coming into a a later round. So that's, that's also one that we actually see. I can, you know, see companies that come to us, and um, very unprofessional investors that have tried to either, you know, lure themselves into the cap table in different ways. Sometimes they succeed, sometimes they don't. 
Another common pitfall, I would say, is recruitment. Um, often, maybe it's not really a focus for companies that they're so focused on building a product, they're not building the team. And you can have the greatest product and the greatest, you know, first customers, but if you're not building that team to help you scale it past that, you're you're kind of stuck, right? Um, when you go out to fundraise more. Um, so, so I think that's, we can stop there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good start. And that's quite a, a varied um, a number of things as well. Um, and do you see, so these common pitfalls, so the lack of focus, the wrong investors, and from mm. the, the, the people side of things, is that common for both really early stage, like pre-seed um, startups, as well as a little bit more, um, uh, well, more established, let's say, in a Series A, where they've actually got products out um, in the market? Yeah, I think, you know, the categories might be the same, but they're a little bit, there's a different kind of risk. So let's just start by defining what the seed stage and what a Series A is. So um, for us, when we talk about seed, it's the uh, you're trying to find your product market fit. You usually only have an assumption about what you want to do. You are guessing. You might have some insights from previous experience, or you know that there's a problem that you want to solve. And so you raise a little bit of money, but you are very cash conservative, right? You are very specific about when you're uh, spending money and you're trying to find your way. In a series A, you have proven those assumptions that you had at seed. You have lots more data. So that kind of de-risks it a little bit. So, you know, there's a lot more investors that want to be in a series A because then they can actually go out and see what's your data. They can compare you to other companies. Um, and only 40% of uh, companies that race a seed actually race a series A. So there's, you know, less companies in that space as well. Sure. But at that stage, you are deploying money. That's growth capital, right? So you are raising money to deploy into the kind of the theories that you have based on the data they collected during your seed stage. So if that data is wrong, so uh, you, that's a huge risk, right? So there, is, there are a lot of companies that have data from their seed stage, they have their theories, and then you deploy it, and then it turns out to be to be wrong. Your hypothesis wasn't correct anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe because you went into a different market that was substantially different than, than you did at seed. Um, maybe you uh, expanded into another type, uh, you, you expanded the product, and then the assumptions weren't true anymore. So that's a that's a huge risk. So that kind of increases the risk again, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the focus. Um, if we think about the investors, investors at seeds uh, at Series A have a lot more money. They usually also invest in less companies than seed stage company uh, seed stage investors. So they have more time for you. They can help you more. They have more. Um, they have a wider network maybe that they can leverage to help you. But again, um, they also have really high requirements, right? Because you have to grow. And if you're not growing quick enough, they will want to spend their time on someone who is growing. So that's like a risk in terms of on the investor side. And on, on the team side, 
if you hire someone during seed, it might not be that difficult or it might not be detrimental to your business because first of all, uh, you're a small, you're always pivoting. You're always trying to find your way and you can let people go probably more easily because you have it. You don't have a big, you don't have a big team yet. It, when you're, when you've built up that series A team, one bad hire can affect a lot more people. It can affect the team in a different way. So that can kind of sink the ship more than at seed stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, I know someone who hired a tech lead and then, you know, ready for that series A growth. And it turns out the tech lead couldn't code, right? Um, so oh, wow. <laughs> what do you do, right? You have to turn around and you, and you're, it, you know, the train has left the station and it's gaining momentum. And then when you suddenly have to get someone new onto the train to steer the, to steer it, it like, do you, you can't stop, right? Cause the train is already, um, it has momentum. So it's, it's a lot, uh, more difficult to, to switch someone out while you're, mm. while that train is moving. So, so right. the risks differ. Definitely. Yeah. And, and in that example, um, of moving from the seed stage to the series A, and they use the um, analogy of the train, and you know mm. the train's moving faster. Um, I suppose yes, because they've found their product market fit, um, so they've got more customers coming in through the door. So would you say um, it's really important to get the basics right at a seed stage? Um, yeah, and the stage st- mm. seed stage level, so that you can propel your business forward when you've hit the product market fit, when you've got the funding come in. And you're like, okay, I've got my key things in place. Now we can really just keep driving the product out. Yeah, I think definitely in a perfect world, that's what you want to do. And But sometimes product market fit isn't that obvious or you don't know when it's coming. So um, it, it is difficult to know when the train is leaving the station and suddenly suddenly you, you look around and you're moving, right? And you didn't really realize it. So I think it's about finding that right balance between what you can what you have to do now um and what you can wait and do later so things will always break but it's about fixing them before they affect other things um if that makes sense Mm. but what we do see and what we try to work so cocoon is a different kind of seed stage investor we only do six investments a year which means that we actually do spend a lot of time uh we take a very active approach to to working with our with our portfolio companies and we try to help out in any way that we can and one of the things that we do help every company with is corporate governance so that is something that we truly believe is key to making it successful to making a startup successful and being able to move from that seed to a series A and series B and series C and so forth. Right. So having proper board meetings, being able to um, have you know the legals in place, having the understanding of the structure and what um, a board is responsible for and what, what the directors at the board are responsible for and what the management team is responsible for and so on and so forth. Like getting that, um, training in early is we believe is very important so that when that train starts moving really fast you're not dealing with a backlog of of issues uh that don't really give you any value when you're bigger but it can 
hinder you when you're bigger. Mm. So that is one way to, um, I suppose, mitigate that risk by getting your corporate governance in place early on, having, having the right um, structures in place, understanding clear roles and responsibilities, as, as you just mentioned. Mm. Uh, what else do you think uh, ways that startups can be thinking about or implementing to mitigate some of these risks that you mentioned? Mm. Um, we also see that building relationships with different investors help you. Uh, the minute you go out to fundraise. So it will de-risk de you in a way where you understand where the investor is coming from and you can identify investors that work that you can work well with. You can also de-risk it by understanding what metrics they're looking for so that you are aware of that and you know, you're able to capture the right data and information when you go out to fundraise. So that's one way. Um, we also you know, another big thing is to, again, going back to the team, it's to hire people better than yourself, right? That's something that we see with a lot of startups. If they can hire, if they can attract good people, that is an, a great way to de-risk the investment for us, right? Because a lot of the times the founders, they're doing this for the first time. and they're founders for a reason because they're very passionate about a problem and solving that problem. But building a business um, is a muscle and you need to have people around you that have done it before, that have experience doing it so you don't you know, go into the same pitfall, um, you, you do the same mistakes as, as, as others. So, so that's another way to do risk it as well. Just surround yourself with really good people Hmm. I like what you said, hire people better than yourself. That says yeah. so much about leaving your ego at the door, right? Because yeah. if you have a high ego, um, then obviously you're thinking you're the best at everything mm. and then you won't want to um, hire people who are really good at things that you're not. And I like that um, yeah. because you're right, like no one is skilled in every single area in marketing and sales and coding and everything so you you really do need to um i think it's really important to leave the ego at the door and and yeah. really try and attract the right people yeah and we see that people do that by being um using esop right so uh, having people buy into your idea and sometimes you don't have the money to to pay people if say they work for Google or Facebook or one of these like huge companies, right? And they have really good packages, but they, but they believe in you and they believe in the problem, and they want to want to be part of something bigger. Use ESOP, the Employee Stock Ownership Plan, and give them, you know, have them buy in that way. Um, that's a really powerful thing. And when we see that the management team also wants ESOP, I think for us, that's a good sign, right? That they really believe in, in, the, in the company and that they will be there in the long run. For ESOP, it's all about keeping people for the long run. You don't want people that are there for, for a year and then leave again, right? You want people there for, because building a, building a company is tough and it does take time. Um, another thing that we see is that and that it kind of goes with what you said about the ego, right? It's about being open 
about what you don't know and also learning from your failures. So everybody makes mistakes all the time, but as long as you don't keep do, making the same mistakes over and over again. So a good way to kind of de-risk that as a founder is to go out and get a network, like find other founders that you can talk to. Maybe it's your co-founders. Uh, maybe you don't have co-founders. And then, so you can go out and find other founders. We, we try to do that a lot with our portfolio companies as well and, and introduce the founders together and make sure that they are have ways of communicating. Because again, a lot of the problems are similar, even though the solutions they're working on are very different, the problems are the same, right? right. So um, that's also getting that network and, and talking to people and being open about what you're struggling with. And then people tend to want to help you um, when you're open about what you're struggling with. So that's also a way to, um, to de-risk it as a, as a founder. And I saw you guys at Cocoon recently launched um, was it a female founders mentoring session. Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Bringing founders together and setting up a network. Yeah, and it's actually also a lot about that investor relationship muscle. Because what I believe is that, you know, there's a lot of really great uh, female founders out there. And what the data is telling us is that they're not getting the same amount of funding as male investors. And why is that, right? That's the big question. And we think that one of the reasons is that a lot of female founders don't have access to the, to the same investor network that uh, male founders have, just because there are less female founders. So if you're a male founder, the, the chance that you have a friend or know someone that has gotten an investment for someone is bigger than if you're a female. And usually, you know, introductions to investors work in the way of a warm introduction. You somebody sends me an email, hey, I met this founder. She he or she is really great. Why don't you have a chat, right? That's the way it works. And and so by giving these female founders an an opportunity to pitch to or have a mentoring session with investors is uh, is a way to to get past that first hurdle. And actually, and also to practice, you know, the first time you pitch, you're probably not going to do a really good job. So having that, building that muscle. And so the way that it works is that we get um, lots of investors together and, and lots of founders together, and we put them into breakout rooms. So each founder meets four investors in one hour. So they get 13 minutes which with each investor. They can use that those minutes for whatever they want. They can pitch, they can ask questions like... I've done brainstorming sessions ever in 13 minutes, like trying to figure out how to uh, to find customers or they sometimes you get direct questions like how do who should I hire? What should I hire? What should I look for? Um, or just a regular pitch for investment. So it can be anything, but just building the it's it's a lot about building that muscle and getting past that first introduction that hopefully we can make a little bit of a, a dent in those numbers uh, for female founders and, and how much uh, uh, the venture capital goes to female founders. Great. That's a really, really cool initiative. Um, I just want to kind of backtrack a little bit, um, just talking specifically about, uh, you know, the risks and things that um, startups potentially come across. Um, I want to talk about like, 
specifically about legal difficulties, do mm -hmm. you what what do you see are the potential legal difficulties that might happen to um, a startup in so like a seed stage or a Series A kind of startup? I think there's a lot, <laughs> so <laughs> it's probably it could be very daunting, like in the first place to to start a company, right? So. But I think the, the things that we're most worried about is lawsuits from especially customers, right? So especially now with these SaaS companies and we do B2B. So, you know, some of these startups have massive clients, right? And if one of those customers are not happy and they, and they, um, and they open up a lawsuit, that's the end. There's nothing you can do, right? You're, you're bankrupt pretty much immediately. Right. So that's that's the big one. Um, you know, also uh, from employees. You know, that's also another one um, because there is a lot of uh, startups tend to hire and fire fast. So it's important to to do that properly, to follow all the procedures and and do that properly according to laws and standards. And laws and standards are different in each country, right? So it's mm -hmm. sometimes difficult to navigate. Um, I mentioned it earlier as well, but investor, uh, previous investors coming in and, you know, all of the shareholder agreements, all of the investment, investor agreements, all of that, you know, being on top of that and understanding the implications of everything in those documents are key. You know, are there veto rights to certain investors or are there discounts to notes or, you know, uh, debt that you suddenly have to an investor because you didn't fulfill a milestone. Like some investors are very creative <laughs> and a lot of founders are desperate for, for cash, right? So I think those are some of the key things that we tend to look out for. Mm, right. And um, like you said, pretty detrimental um, impact if lawsuits do happen. And, and like mm. you said, it can totally bankrupt you. Yeah. Um, and I guess it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about one of the mitigating actions that you guys focus a lot on um, Cocoon is getting corporate governance things in place. And I know yeah. it's probably not top of mind of most founders who are so keen to, um, you know, get get going with their product and start selling and, and getting out in the market. But um, I guess it's important to get things ready and in place because, you um, yeah, if something does happen, it can de-risk, can derail your business. Mm. Yeah, for, absolutely. And it, it is often easier to get it right the first time than to have to redo it later. And there are, of course, things that you always have to redo, um, refocus on. But these, the corporate governance, that's very difficult when uh, it's not done right the first time. We we. Uh, we see that, right? Uh, we've been through that with companies where we had to go in and redo things and and go back and find agreements and and talk to people. It it takes away the focus from the actual value adding things. So getting it right the first time is is really crucial. We believe. Got it. Cool. Thank you so much, Gina. I've really enjoyed this chat with you. My takeaways of where you think the key risks are for startups is um, the losing focus or, or lack of focus, not getting the right investors on board and not getting the right team on board.
Um, I think those are three things I'm going to take away for myself, for Anafi. So thank you for those um, nuggets of gold. Um, and um, yeah, I look forward to other opportunities that we will be able to chat more and um, yeah, be able to pick your brain in, in other ways in the future. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Ruth. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll speak to you next time on the next episode of G-Risk.